Before we begin today, I wanted to acknowledge two deaths that have occurred within the Syracuse University freshman class in the past week. Trevor Pierce, who lived in my residence hall, passed away in a skateboarding accident Tuesday evening. I didn't know Trevor very well. What I do know is that he instantly put a smile on the faces of everyone he encountered. Also, Jack London, who was studying in the Newhouse School of Communications, passed away unexpectedly late Wednesday night. I never met Jack, but it's tough to hear about the loss of someone in my school here at Syracuse. With that, we dedicate this episode to the memories of Trevor and Jack. May they forever rest in paradise. Welcome to Full Court Press, and I'm Liam Griffin. Mike, the Steelers are 4-0. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I would have thought. I mean, to be fair, they've had a pretty weak schedule so far, with the, tech, with the exception of perhaps the Texans. Oh my god, don't a, get on with the Texans. Yes. No, stop with the Texans. As a trap game, okay? No, yes, we were still favored, but come on. Just... Man, I'll just say, you're lucky you don't have to play us. Uh, wait till January. Oh, pfft. You guys aren't going to be there. All right, oh, boys and girls. Not all that kind of personal matter come up, but no worries. Back on the show today is my roommate and Scranton, a.k.a. where the office was filmed, native Mike Ostrowski. Let's hear it. I hate to break it to you, Chief. The office wasn't filmed in Scranton. Oh, it takes place in Scranton. Okay. Okay, okay. Okay. On today's episode, I explained my flashbacks to 2004, 2017, and 2011. We begin today discussing the NBA champion Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers dispatched the Heat in Game 6, and I mean dispatched. It was a 28-point game at halftime. This marks the fourth title and fourth finals MVP for LeBron James, Mike. So what does the title mean for the Lakers, and what does it mean for LeBron, if anything? Well, for the Lakers, I mean, it's... Fitting, considering the unfortunate circumstances with Kobe Bryant's passing earlier this year, it's. I think it's appropriate. And as for LeBron, I mean, it's it further cements his legacy as one of the greatest players of all time. I will continue to say one of, whether you are in the MJ category or not. Although I will say in this case, without the help of one unibrow man, Anthony Davis. They would not have won this final, and that was an MVP snub if I've ever seen one. I agree completely. You know, it means a lot for the franchise, given what happened in February, the just tragic passing of Kobe and Gianna, and then, but taking away the uh, sadness of it, this is number 17, that pulls them even with the Boston Celtics. I would like to point out it's still 9-3 to when the Celtics Lakers meet up in the final, so maybe sometime soon, I don't know, but... In terms of what it means for LeBron, I mean, if you ask me, it's just another title because when you break it down, last year, the Lakers had a much, much better group of reserves, in my opinion. I mean, you had guys like Lonzo Ball, Ingram, Hart. Look what they're all doing in New Orleans right now, right? Mm -hmm. So you trade all of them away for Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis propels them over the top to a championship. So you're absolutely right. Anthony Davis did get some for MVP. So if you ask me... This finals, more credit should go to Anthony Davis instead of LeBron. Don't get me wrong. Do not get me wrong. The numbers LeBron James put up at 35 freaking years old, it's unbelievable. But at the same time, you have to realize that Anthony Davis is the catalyst for this team, or was the catalyst, and Absolutely. still is, assuming he resigns. Absolutely. And I have a feeling he'll be back. Oh, no, yeah. Bleach Report says that's the plan as of right now. Well, 
staying with the NBA, teams have been making some executive moves to try and get on the Lakers' level. The Clippers hired Tyron Lue, the Nets, Stephen Nash, my 76ers hired your boy Doc Rivers, most, no, mo, excuse me, most notably, the Rockets have fired, or excuse me, the Rockets' GM, Daryl Morey, has stepped down. Morey has been the Rockets' GM since 2007. I was never shy to experiment, signing many big names such as Jeremy Lin, Dwight Howard, the face of the franchise, James Harden, Chris Paul, and Russell Westbrook during his time in Houston. So, Liam, how big of an impact, whether it's positive or negative, will his departure have on the Rockets franchise? So, Daryl Morey was in Houston for well over a decade, and one thing he never was was, as he should have been at times, complacent. They had it. They had it. They were a strained hamstring away from potentially winning the NBA Finals in 2018. But what does he decide to do? And James Harden even has said, with LeBron James as a free agent, we're good with what we've got. We don't need to make any changes. But you know what Daryl Morey did? He made changes. He dumps Trevor Ariza and goes and picks up a washed Carmelo Anthony. And we all know what happened then. The start of the season was a train wreck that year. They ended up having to play the Warriors in the second round, and they got bounced early. Then, it's still, still, they got things under control when they got rid of Melo, but then he strikes again. He trades Chris Paul for one of the most overrated players in the NBA, Russell Westbrook, and then to make matters worse, he trades Clint Capella, who may very well be a top 10 center in the National Basketball Association, to try small ball. Something that has never worked in the NBA. The Warriors had Andrew Bogey and Zaza Pachulia when they were winning championships. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous to me. I mean, other than the Boston Celtics, a little bit of hometown bias here, I cannot name a team with three top ten players in a single position. Can you? No, I cannot. Sir. Exactly. So, that being said, it's a long time coming. It's been needed for a while. And... Houston, I hope you're happy. And I would agree with just about every point you made there, Liam. And even as an avid Mellow fan, even even before coming to Syracuse, I was a huge fan of his. But uh, that was just a terrible move for not only team chemistry, but like I, I think the big problem here in Houston is more focus on the big names rather than the scheming, rather than on team chemistry. Yeah, Carmelo Anthony is a big name in basketball. Russell Westbrook is a big name in basketball. But getting these guys does not make your team fundamentally better. And that that's been their problem for a long time. I mean, Jeremy Lin, Dwight Howard. Jeremy Lin went off during the season. Dwight Howard was amazing during his time in Orlando. But there are more inside Dwight Howard in wake of one of the most failed experiments of all time. You have Dwight. You had Dwight, Kobe, and Steve Nash all in L.A. That was a train wreck. Yes, sir. Well, after he shuffled the deck chairs long enough, and now we'll see if Houston, under some new leadership, will finally be able to get on track. Not putting any money on it, though. Huh. Yeah, you know, it's been a chaotic week for Houston sports. With that in the ALCS. This is tough. I'm sorry. Tampa Bay pitching shut down Houston's offense in games one and three, but the tides have turned since. Houston won game four, four to three as Tampa Bay left the tying run at third. Game five by the same score on a Carlos Correa walk-off home run to become the first team since the 0-4 Sox to force a game six after trying 3-0. In that game six, the race scored with the first run, 
but to no stinking avail as Houston won 7-4. With a win tonight in Game 7, the Astros can do something that has only been done once in the MLB in 2004, and the fact that it's only time been done once is very scary. Come back from a 3-0 deficit. So, Mike, without bearing that in mind, the pitching matchup for tomorrow evening is supposed to be Lance McCullers Jr. versus Charlie Morton. That could be it. That could end up being the difference. So, who you got? Well, personally, I wish this could be like a gold Hollywood movie, Major League Two. You ever watched? I'm sure. Oh, I saw Major League Two. I didn't. I didn't see two. I've well, seen the first one. Well, two at the end of the season, the exact situation happened. The Indians go up three to nothing against the White Sox, lose three straight, and come back to win Game Seven. Now it's a movie. I would love that to happen here, but even with I think Charlie Morton being the superior starter tomorrow night, there's just the Rays have zero momentum right now. They look absolutely gassed, and the, what the Astros have is a sense of confidence. And while I still hate their guts for their scandal back with their bang bang back in the day, they are an extremely talented group. I won't deny that. I disagree. You disagree that they're not an extremely talented group. I disagree. All their stats are inflated. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Uh, And one other thing you forgot to mention the Houston Astros have is, and Anthony and I touched on this last week, is vengeance. I mean, they're taking in all this hatred and using it as, and making it fuel to the fire. I mean, Carlos Correa, who, as we said last week, is maybe the most hated player in the major leagues right now, he's using that and hit the walk-off home run in Game 5. And and then last night, Game 6, Framber Valdez got the job done. And then questionable pitching, questionable decision by Kevin Cash to take Blake Snell out with a shutout after only throwing 82 pitches. Mm-hmm. If Tampa Bay loses tomorrow night, that's what they're going to... That's what race fans are going to look back on and say, what could have been if we had left Snell in the game? And I would agree that, that they don't like us, we don't care mentality is exactly why they were able to come back from 3-0, and exact, it's exactly why I think they're going to win again in Game 7, unfortunately. Um, my heart's telling me Tampa, but history says Houston, so I really, I really don't know who's going to win tomorrow. I will say this, though. It's not going to be like last night. Whomever scores first is going to win this game. I guarantee. All right, I will hold you to that. And Tampa Bay, I'll just say you have the support of every baseball fan in America tonight, minus the delusionals in Houston. As for the NLDS, well, NLCS, my goodness. Yeah. It's one twenty. Let's give it a break. Yeah, we are recording at one twenty in the morning, people. Anyway, everybody had the Dodgers winning this one easily, but nope. Here we are, the Atlanta Braves are up 3-2. to two. They won the first two games, then the Dodgers absolutely pummeled them in Game 3. That's got to give, even though Mike Fultonevich is gone, that there had to be a little PTSD from the Game 5 at the NLDS last year. After that, the Braves pummeled the Dodgers back in Game 4, with the, then with a series of 3-1. Corey Seager hit two home runs for the Dodgers as they pulled closer to 3-2, to two, but they are still behind and will need to win two straight. So, Liam, who do you blame for L.A.'s deficit? Well, the go-to answer would be Clayton Kershaw, but that excuse is invalid now because he's dealing with back spasms, right? So, and it kills me to say this, but for me, the blame falls on Betts and Bellinger. Mm -hmm. They have been terrible in this series. They've been terrible. I mean, Bellinger, I think they have a combined total of six hits through Mm -hmm. five games. Yeah. That is is atrocious. You have two MVP-level players playing like that. You deserve to be down through the two. You deserve to be out already. 
Yeah, when your 300-some million-dollar man is hitting below the Mendoza line in the playoff series, I hate to say it, but that is just purely unacceptable. And uh, he, he finally got above that today, but they have got to drastically improve if, got if, if the Dodgers have any chance of pulling off the and We'll touch more on this later, but and another thing is the Dodgers starting pitching has to be on top of it as well. But yeah. at the same time, that doesn't take away from the fact that Betts and Bellinger have been downright awful. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, Mike, it hasn't been easy for the Dodgers all series. Do you know what is easy? Podcasting with Anchor. Moving on to football, and we start by discussing the gruesome injury suffered by Dak Prescott on Sunday. In the third quarter of Sunday's Giants-Cowboys game, Prescott suffered a right compound angle fracture and dislocation, and the mere sight of it gave me flashbacks to Gordon Hayward's injury from a few years ago. Mike, how big of a loss is Prescott for the Dallas Cowboys? Well, on a personal level, this is a huge lot for Prescott being in the franchise tag, and I feel bad for the guy. But for the Cowboys themselves, I actually don't think it's as big as some people make it out to be. I think Andy Dalton will do just fine filling in. You could even argue that he is better than Dak Prescott in some areas. Uh, we'll see. Again, it very weak division. On paper, the Cowboys still have the most talent, and... Maybe a new face on their center will give them what it takes to take the division. I would argue that the Cowboys are better without Dak Prescott. I mean, he's been inconsistent throughout his whole career. And, I mean, nothing against him because of his injury. I mean, prayers up, 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 up. I mean, this is just a terrible injury. I know I've had a, pl- I've had a player on my team go, some- go through someone like this. He hasn't been the same since he's suffered it. And... But at the same time, you're talking about a quarterback in Andy Dalton who, under one of the worst coaches in the National Football League at the time, mm-hmm. propelled the Cincinnati Bengals to multiple playoff appearances. I believe they made a mistake getting rid of him. I don't think they needed Joe Burrow. I think they should have stuck with him, but that's a discussion for another time. So if you ask me, the Cowboys will be just as mediocre as they were with Prescott, if you ask me. That's a terrible division. They still got a shot to win it, obviously, but... Uh, I mean, just a terrible injury. Prayers up to Dak Prescott. And I second that sentiment. Uh, I'm not a big Cowboys fan, but Dak, whether you like him as a player or not, he seems like a genuine nice guy, and he's gone through hell these last few months. So I wish him nothing but the best. And moving on, expectations for the Tennessee Titans in their first game back after their COVID outbreak were pretty low. But those expectations were met and much, much more. Underdogs against the undefeated Buffalo. The Titans absolutely destroyed them, winning 42-16 and improving their record to 4-0. Liam, I understand it's early, but if the season ended today, the Titans would be the number one seed. How serious of contenders are they in your book? First of all, I told you so. You were out there saying the Houston Texans were going to win the AFC South. Look what's happened to that, huh? I will eat. I will gladly eat my words there because please do because Bill O'Brien. Listen, please do. And now they at least have hope for the future that Bill O'Brien is gone. Oh my god! Just, just no. <laughs> but at the same time, you look at this team. You've got a dynamic offense. You've got Tannehill, one of the best play action quarterbacks in the game. Derrick Henry, the best pure running back in the game. I know McCaffrey's a Pass catcher, if he's the best pure running back in the You know what I mean? Absolutely. And Absolutely. then you got targets like A.J. Brown, Berkser. That's a dang good offense. And then you've got defense guys like Correa, 
Malcolm Butler, Logan Ryan. That's a stacked secondary, too. Baccaro, I think, is there now. So, they're contenders, man. They're contenders. And they showed it by beating down on Buffalo the other night. And I mean beating down. Oh, that was, uh, yeah, that was a heck of a game to watch if you were a Tennessee fan. Uh, I think our pal Joe Pooch and others did not have a great time. But, uh, again, I'll eat my words on the Titans. I honestly thought in some areas, especially with Ryan Tannehill, they would regress to the mean a little bit. But I was wrong. I'll own up to it. He has continued his tear from last season, and the defense has really stood up. That was another area where, okay, they brought in Clowney. I thought, okay, it's a big-name move, but what is it really going to do? But the rest of the defense seems to have rose to the challenge. And at this point in time, I don't know if they'll stay with the number one seed, but I think they are Sherlock's for another deep playoff run. Exactly. You, I didn't even mention today, that's how good this defense is. And before I move on, I just want to reiterate, I told you so. Another one of my predictions that is looking good so far, the Seattle Seahawks will be the number one seed in the NFC, but by the skin of their teeth, they are. Their four point differential through five games is only plus 34. So on average, they're winning their games by less than a touchdown per. I mean, they've had close games against the Dolphins and Vikings. I know the Dolphins blew out San Francisco last week, but still. So Mike, how much faith do you have in the Seahawks? It really comes down to can the defense improve because I've got all the faith in the world in the offense. And yes, I see you laughing hysterically over there. But, listen, I've got all the faith in Russell Wilson with that stacked receiving core, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, etc. But, what wep- the, it's a far cry from the Legion of Boom. What weapons do they really have on the defensive side of the ball? Not, to me, not enough to make that deep playoff run. But then again, the KC Chiefs last year were not exactly stacked on defense. And they made it all the way to the Super Bowl and ended up winning it, so... We shall see. You talk about Seattle Seahawks defensively. I mean, all they've got is Bobby Wagner, and that's the truth of the matter. Their secondary is supposed to be good on paper with guys like Diggs and Dunbar, and they recently acquired Jamal Adams, but that's, they've just been atrocious. But another thing, 20, this isn't the 2011 thing I was talking about earlier, but the uh, Patriots' past defense that year was absolutely terrible. In fact, I think we led the league in yards to give up, but at the same time, we only gave up like 27 points per game, which isn't terrible by any means. Yeah. But at the same time, the defense has to improve that. That's, it's not going to cut it against Tampa Bay. It's not going to cut it against Green Bay. It's not going to cut it against New Orleans. It'll cut it against the NFC East teams, but it's not going to cut it against the team, a top team from any other division. Listen. So that just, being said, they've got to improve, and they've got to improve fast. Yeah, listen, just about anybody outside the NFC East can cut against the NFC East. <laughs> the NFC Least. Sorry. The NFC Least, that's a good one. You haven't heard that one yet? No, no. Dude, that's been all over talk shows the last couple weeks. No, I haven't been watching talk shows. I've had school. Yeah, I've had school. You've been, on, you've, been, you've been watching shows in class, Mike? Um, I don't have to have my camera on all the time, you know? Anyway, moving on. Uh, regardless of those opinions, Russell Wilson should be the NSG to MVP right now. Completely agree. And in the AFC West, it's been an interesting season so far for the Las Vegas Raiders. That's going to still take some getting used to. Huh, no kidding. They've beaten top-tier teams like the Chiefs and Saints, but lost to other top-tier teams like the Patriots and Bills. Let them know. 
However, they have been pressing the early going after a pretty underwhelming season last year. The Raiders' first five opponents have a combined record of 16 and 8, and yet they are 3 and 2. They look pretty solid, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Liam, are you taking them seriously? Let's take a look here. Let's take a look at their upcoming schedule, all right? I mean, let's take a look, because that's going to help me answer the question. Let's see. I'm on the Patriots right now on my NFL app, because uh, they're the best, you know? Uh, that's what the preset to, six Super Bowls. Okay, so uh, they're on bye this who week. Who has six? I'm sorry? When's the last time you guys won? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so their next, th- their next three games are, or the next two, let's just do their next two, are Tampa Bay and Cleveland. But that's not easy. No, sir. And then you've got Denver and the Chargers in Denver, two games they should win fairly easily. And they've got Kansas City, a game that, I don't see Kansas City losing twice to them this year. And we got Atlanta, the Jets, the Colts. The... So, from after week 11, their schedule becomes monstrously easy. I mean, I mean, easy, easy. You've got the Jets, the Falcons, the Dolphins, the Broncos, the Chargers. I mean, so the next five games for the Las Vegas Raiders are going to determine the limit to which they get. Because you've got Tampa Bay. Very good team. You got Cleveland, overwhelming team this year. Mm-hmm. And you've got Kansas City again, this time in the black hole, no fans. They beat Kansas City in Arrowhead. They had fans there. So that's a very impressive win on their part. But I'll take them seriously. I will. And I will as well. Uh, they were definitely a team that flew under my radar going into the season. Uh, and I mean, really. Who would you say are some of their breakout guys this year? Obviously, uh, Josh Jacobs having another solid campaign. Carr, uh, you know, one guy that surprised me, the ex-Eagle, Nelson Aguilar. Of course, he learns how to catch now. That's, I've been hearing a lot of arguments from my friends back home. You know, the, they're the, some of the blame Wentz types. But, what I mean, I'm not really I mean, One guy you that, forgot but. to mention, the rookie, Henry Ruggs, having a oh, yes, major sir. impact yes, there. Yes, sir. Oh, well, I love how we criticize Gruden for making those moves, but now they're in a really darn good spot. So, in 2011, three teams from the AFC North were right in the thick of things. Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cincinnati. All three teams were very good throughout the season, and it was a battle each and every time two of these three teams faced off. All three of those teams ended up making the playoffs that year. It feels like deja vu this year, only with Cleveland in place of Cincinnati. The Steelers, Ravens, and Browns have a combined record of 12-2, and the only losses have been to the Chiefs, and Cleveland and Baltimore played, and Baltimore won. Mike, very, very, very tough division. Perhaps the best in football. Who ends up on top of it? Well, I would love to show some hometown bias here, but I would have to watch this weekend's game against the Browns before I can make that claim, because whether I like it or not, the Steeler tradition of playing down to competition is alive and well. These first few games should not have been this close. With the, perhaps the exception of the Texans. I still, you can hate me all you want for that, but they, yes, terrible coaching, but they still have a lot of talent on offense. But, I mean, come on. Almost losing to the Philadelphia Eagles with one, one healthy wide receiver is embarrassing. And as far as the Baltimore Ravens go, their one loss came against the defending Super Bowl champs. I think they'll be just fine, and I think they will still take this division. You guys, the defense looks rock solid. Our defense 
while we're putting a lot of pressure on the uh, offensive line, leading the league in stacks. Our secondary has looked awfully suspect. So, you guys were a four touchdown game from Chase Chase Claypool, excuse me, away from losing to the darn Eagles. Mm-hmm. Yes. So who you got winning the division right now? I said the Ravens. Okay. So I agree. I mean, they're the, they're the all around best team. As good as Cleveland and Cincinnati have been, Baltimore blew them out. Not I mean, blew sorry, them out. Cincinnati. Um, did I say did I say Cincinnati? Yeah. Baltimore blew Cleveland out week one. Not even blew them out. It was embarrassing. So the this weekend's game between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, assuming it's happening, is the turning point for the Cleveland Browns. I mean, if they get blown out by Pittsburgh, they're done. If they can prove they can hang with them, they got a shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, first off, knock on wood that the game's gonna be played. There, uh, other than OBJ having some kind of illness that is not to believed to be COVID-related. I think we are in the clear. And I fully expect it to be a close game. Whether, whichever way it goes, if it goes in our favor, if it goes in the Cleveland's favor, it'll be down to the wire. I expect it to be a shootout. Keep the, you know, playing down the competition alive. Not that I think the Browns are bad this year, but, man, for how good that our secondary is supposed to be on paper, it has been a massive disappointment. It's going to be fun watching you and Anthony go at it on Saturday, oh, yeah. on Sunday. Well, later today, we are, I'm actually supposed to be talking with him about it for the Instagram. Oh, nice. Steelers for a drive? Yeah. Nice. Okay. Uh, shameless plug in there. Follow me on Instagram at Steelers Drive. I very much appreciate it. <laughs> okay, time for the history lesson, boys and girls. We're on a great achievements of the past in the coming week. Five years ago today, October 17th, happy anniversary, Mom and Dad. 21 loving years. Can't wait for 21 more. Love you guys. But five years ago, on October 17th, soccer star Cristiano Ronaldo became Real Madrid's all-time leading scorer, scoring his 324th career goal. Ronaldo, who now plays for Juventus, has been overshadowed by Lionel Messi for a while now, but is most certainly up there among the greats. 54 years ago, Monday, October 19th, some random guy by the name of Bobby Orr made his NHL debut for the Boston Bruins. Or, as Liam knows oh so well, as he's showing me right next to me, went on to become arguably the greatest defenseman to ever lace up the skate. No Pittsburgh Penguin will ever have the merit of Bob York. Actually, maybe Lemieux. Yeah. Well, not, Cros- okay. not Crosby. Not Crosby. No, I'm, I'm not going to say Crosby, but Lemieux was outstanding and he beat cancer. you got to give some respect. You no, know, I just said maybe Lemieux. 13 years ago, Wednesday, October 21st, my Boston Red Sox won Game 7 against the Cleveland Indians, 11-2, to win the ALCS and get back to the World Series. It was another comeback series for the Sox, Though not as dramatic, because Cleveland was up 3-1 compared to 3-0 in the series. But Boston, like we do, responded with three straight blowouts, and they ended up going all the way. 27 years ago, Friday, October 23rd, this is a tough one. Man, it's almost like you did this intentionally. The Toronto Blue I mean, Jays... it's, it's something notable, okay? No, I know, I know. The Toronto Blue Jays beat my Philadelphia Phillies in Game 6 of the World Series. Joe Carter hitting that walk-off homer off Wild Thing Mitch Williams to claim back-to-back World Series championship. But they haven't been back to the series since. But with their loaded young core, that may change soon. And I believe in the next, I'd say, Wild three. Thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, make, make my heart sing. Okay, the show's almost over, so it's time for who you got. We start with this. This afternoon, we got NLCS Game 6 at 3.30 Eastern. Walker Buehler and Max Sweet expected to start. Mike, do the Dodgers extend it? And if so, who you got in Game 7? 
I'm going to go out on a limb here and say they do not extend it, and the Braves will take Game 6 and the series to move on to the Fall Classic. Do I, I don't have a lot of evidence for this, unfortunately. I will just say this. The Dodgers went through a heck of a lot of pitching today, is one thing I noticed. And with the format for this year, with no days off in between games for the championship series, they don't have that chance <clears> to rest. Yeah, look what happened to the Yankees a week ago. Mm-hmm. Their A guys were burned, and it showed the next day. So, yeah, I've got I've got Atlanta. They had somewhat of a bullpen game as well, but not to the extent that the Dodgers had. They got three innings out of A.J. Minter. That preserved a lot of guys. That I would, And the difference there is Atlanta had an intentional bullpen game, whereas the Dodgers had no choice. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got Atlanta. Hopefully Poppy's happy, smiling down, in the, down on the Cape. I'm sure he is, man. Yeah, I'm sure he is. So next up on Sunday Night Football this weekend, Jared Goff and the Rams, not the 49ers, face off against the 49ers. No worries. So, Liam, I think we know the answer, but who's taking this one? I've got the Rams, man. They're 4-1. They're really good. They're underrated, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Daryl Henderson is an underrated running back. On track to become one of the best in football. So I've got the Rams, man. And I agree. I think the Rams are going to roll to another blowout win against the 49ers. I mean, you, you hate to be a San Fran fan right now. That no. Super Bowl, it's not a complete Super Bowl hangover. It's some just Injuries. In, injury bowl every day over in San Fran. Uh, but when your franchise QB gets benched for C.J. Beathard against the Dolphins, you're, you can't go a whole lot lower. Hey, Golden St- hey, San Francisco fans, at least you got Stephen Clay back now. Last one, <laughs> the first of two Monday night games, it's a battle of four and ones. As Kansas City travels to face Buffalo at 5 o'clock Monday night. Mike, who wins the battle? I think this one's going to be close. It's going to be another high-scoring affair. But, listen, I'm still going with the Chiefs. Calm down. Calm down. Close every, game, are you kidding me, Dave? Every, yes, the Bills just got blown the F out by the Titans. That doesn't mean I don't think they're going to find a way to try to bounce back. And reminder that the Chiefs had trouble scoring against the Patriots. Because we're good. You have a great secondary, I won't lie. But come on, when you're starting Brian, no offense to Patriots fans in general, but when you're starting Brian Hoyer, I think that was just playing down to the competition. We have, good de- we have a good defense. Moving on. Casey, so who you got? I got KC. I got KC winning I, by, about, by about 10. Okay, I was going to say, if you were going to make like a 3 5 point game, I would have gone no. crazy. Buffalo's overrated. There should be 3 and 2. There shouldn't be 4 and 1. The Rams game was I will I will ridiculous. agree with that, that that was a blown call against the LA Rams. That was ridiculous. LA should be 5 and 0 right now. I've got the Chiefs. I don't see Mahomes and the Chiefs losing back to back games. I mean, and. The fact they lost to the Raiders, Division Isle, that's a terrible loss for them. Mm-hmm. I don't see them losing back to back, so I've got the Chiefs by 12. All right. Well, folks, that's it for today. I'm Michael Ostrowski. Thanks again for having me, bro. Of course, man. It. I'd like to thank Mike for being my guest today. I'm Liam Griffin. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to give this podcast a follow on Instagram at Press Podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please DM the podcast or contact me directly. Please, please, please stay healthy, wash your hands, be safe, and be positive, and we'll see you next week.